Psalm 62, and for our beginning place today, we're going to look at verses 5 through 8, and then we may have you throughout the message today uh, flip around a little bit and look at some scriptures today. The Lord will help us. Psalm 62, beginning in verse 5, and reading down to verse 8. Here's what the psalmist writes. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. Or that could also say, for my hope is in Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. And that will conclude our reading this morning. That's Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. And our, momentarily our attention will be put upon... Verse 5, and I want to reread that, and then perhaps we may also look at verse 8 at some point. The psalmist writes, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my hope is in Him, for my expectation is from Him, is what it actually says in the King James. Now this morning I'm going to preach a message today, or at least if the Lord will help me to expound some thoughts on something that may be a little different. The title of our message this morning is The Struggle of Infertility. The Struggle of Infertility. Now, occasionally there are times where I don't understand why I'm preaching what I'm preaching, and this is one of those times. But I'm going to trust the Lord that there may be a reason for somebody here or at times there are people watching online and that it may do some good for somebody. When I was in Belize uh, this past week, there was a a thought that really struck me about two-thirds of the way through my trip. And that is how all around the world, the struggles that people face are the exact same. That shouldn't amaze me, but for some reason, when I go to a place that is so foreign, and I am so expectant of some, perhaps, adventure-like experience, um, the people that I was ministering to were Mayan people, so you've probably read about them in ancient days, and you think of them as this, the Aztecs, and the Mayans, and the Incans, and it just seems like a different world, and in some ways it is, but when you really boil down people to what they are, our struggles are universal. And I spent a great deal of time this trip, one-on-one with people, talking about things that, again, it just amazed me, people who struggle with addiction, people who struggle with divorce, disobedient children, infertility, marriage issues, All the litany of things that we have here may look a little different and the causes may be a little different, 
based upon their culture and situations, but they're very similar to what we face. And as I grew up in church, one of the things that would often bother me is when I came to an experience that I would have in life that seemed like a significant one, that was a roadblock or a stumbling block that was causing my faith to wane in God, or that disrupted my life in a major way, and I felt like, why doesn't the Bible talk about this? Why is it that when I come into the house of God, I hear a whole lot about some things, and then nothing about other things, and yet it seemed like some of the things I was hearing a whole lot about, I didn't struggle with so much, but the things that I never heard about were major obstacles to my life. And then I began to dig in the word of God for myself and I began to realize that those things that were major impediments to my life are all through the scriptures. That God is not one who is ignorant to our needs or aloof from the major stumbling blocks in our life, but rather the word of God is sufficient for every area of life. And when we're struggling in certain very personal issues, and this is one of those issues today, but be it things like addiction, be it any number of the things that we may rightfully keep private in some ways, but just because we keep them private doesn't mean that the Bible does not have a great deal of wisdom to share with us and that God is not sufficient to help us address the stumbling blocks that are real in our lives. In other words, this morning, I want you to know that if, you're, if you have in the past, if you do presently, if you have a family member that does struggle with infertility, I want you to know that the Bible has a great deal to say about it. And furthermore, God genuinely cares about your plight. Because this is one of those issues that particularly for women, but also for men, can be a life-altering, gripping thing that you can't think of anything else all throughout each day except for what you're being deprived of. And that pain can create a whole lot of uh, emotion towards other people and towards God. And I believe that's in part why God in such detail addresses these things. Now this morning, I don't pretend to be an expert on this, but I do hope that if it does anything, that it opens up the door of communication for people who have struggled with this. That it shows you that God cares and God has an answer for your problems. Here in the scriptures, we look and in our particular scripture reading, I felt like it was appropriate. If you look at verse 5, the attitude of the psalmist And he's speaking to himself. And he says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my hope is in him. If I could begin the message this morning with someone who may have struggled or is struggling with this, I want to advocate to you the same attitude that the psalmist portrays here before we look at all the different places in Scripture where this is discussed. Ultimately, You must place your faith and hope in God alone. This issue is no different 
than every other issue that we face that's a stumbling block in our lives. It comes in a different form, but it's no different than anything else. And ultimately, with every issue that is a a stumbling block for us, we must come back to the original place, and that is, Lord, you know, and my trust is solely in you and in you alone. But as I was studying this, what I became amazed about is how many places in Scripture and how significant that this stumbling block truly is all throughout the Bible. We read of many women, and we'll go through some of these circumstances here in a moment, but if you think, for Sarah, it was often, or it wasn't often, it was at the center of discussion between Abraham and Sarah, and one of the center things of all of Abraham's life was that his wife was barren and unable to conceive a child. And there are so many lessons that are interwoven throughout the Old and the New Testament that really go back to Abraham and Sarah's struggle to conceive. The next scripture we read about is the next woman after that, and that is Rachel. She struggled. Rebecca struggled. So for three generations, all in the same family, we learn of this genuine struggle of these women, and God teaches us through their struggles various lessons that he could pass down to us. That's not all. We learn in the Bible also about a woman named Michael. It was Saul's daughter, David's wife. She struggled with barrenness, and she never had a child. Another story of Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother. All of these stories are stories where the central focus for at least a part of these people's walk of faith was their inability to conceive a child. I'll tell you this morning that I can almost guarantee that there are many people in this room That's how common of a struggle that it is. There are many people in this room that have struggled in the past, are presently struggling, or will one day, unbeknownst to them now, will one day struggle with the problem of infertility in their marriage or in their family. And I want you to know this morning, if I could just plant a seed, that there is hope and purpose in your struggle. We'll begin this morning with the story of Abraham and Sarah We want to talk about in some of these stories both God's purpose in it, but also what some of these people did that worsened their plight that is still common today that people react and respond in ways to this struggle that only worsens and doesn't aid them in their struggle. If you remember in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis, Abraham comes upon the scene and we learn about him that he was an old man already, that he was already well past his age and ability to conceive a child with his wife, Sarah. And yet God comes to him in Genesis chapter 12 and he makes him these amazing promises that would be amazing to anybody, but they come miraculous promises when you consider his age. He makes him primarily two promises to him and it is contingent upon him being able to have children. The first one is he said, out of your loins will come many nations. I'm going to bless you in an innumerable fashion. Now, when God spoke this to Abraham, God spoke a promise to him that was directly related to the personal struggle that he was having. This was 
at its core to Abraham and Sarah, a challenge of their faith in God. And as we look through the book of Genesis in the life of Abraham, he renews that promise over and over. And at the core of each renewal is God challenging Abraham's faith in him, despite everything in the natural world saying it's not possible. The first promise he makes is, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. The second one was this, and it's even a greater promise, and it's the promise about our future Messiah, and that is, in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So not only is he saying that he's going to have an offspring, but that he is going to have the offspring, the Messiah, the one promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that there would come one of the seed of a woman that would bear the reproach and the sins of the world, that Satan would bruise his heel and he would crush his head, that he would destroy sin. And so we find in the promise in Genesis three fifteen the coming of a Savior, and then we see this promise renewed in Genesis chapter 12, that he, Abraham, it's going to be from his seed that these children or this child is going to come. And then here's the painful thing that happens. Time passes. Has God ever spoken something to you? And you're eager for it to take place. You're expecting of it to take place. But it doesn't happen upon your schedule. That's a big struggle for me. It's been a very big challenge to my faith. I've shared this with you before, but I went five years between when I resigned the previous church that I pastored, and five years to the day, whenever you called me to pastor. For five years, my life was on hold. I waited, I waited. Opportunities to go engage in God's work were opened, and God said, not yet. Not yet. But always down deep in my heart, I knew there's something that God wants me to do. But you know, it got harder and harder the longer that time passed and the more doors that were being closed, the harder it got, the more that it challenged my faith. God, are you sure? And very often I would be up on a spiritual high waiting and anticipating this is it. This is when it's coming. And we see through the life of Abraham a very similar thing that Abraham believes that at first his servant Eleazar is going to be the seed whereby God blesses him. And God tells him in chapter 15, I believe, no, Eleazar's not it. He's not the seed. And then we find a situation that we'll maybe talk about here more in a minute, but then he bears a child with a, a different woman than his, his wife, Hagar. And Ishmael is born. And he comes before God and he says, please allow this to be the seed that comes before you. Allow Ishmael to live forever before you. And God says, nope, it's not going to be Ishmael. You see, God was doing something to Abraham in the waiting. Especially today in our Rapid, quick culture, anytime God requires us to wait for 99% of us, it is going to be a torture to our faith. And yet, what we have to trust and know is that it is in the passage of time that God is often working in us the greatest work that He can. If God gave us everything exactly when we wanted it, we would not be. We would not mature in the sense I was just teaching over uh, this week in the chapel services. I was trying to teach the children that very thing is that essentially good comes to those who wait. 
That oftentimes what you have to do is delay gratification and wait on things. And even in a natural sense, if you're willing to do that, good things come. In a spiritual things, that's only heightened. That when people wait upon the timing and purpose of God, good will come. Here, he has to wait. He gets to a place where God renews his promise in chapter 17 when he's 99 years old. I still joke with my grandmother. She's 96 or 97 years old. And I always joke with her that, you know, there was a a man and a woman that had a child that late in age, right? So hope is not gone for you. She's obviously had children, but I, I like to tease her about the possibility that she could have a child. And, you know, really seeing her and seeing her condition of that old of an age reinforces the miracle that took place and why when Sarah, when the angels tell Abraham that God is going to uh, help Sarah to conceive a child, why that Sarah laughed at God or laughed at that promise. Because when I look at my grandmother, I say, you know what? It's been decades. It's almost been a half of a century since her body has been capable of even producing a child. And yet... That miracle was part of God's purpose in delaying what God was doing. Finally, he bears a child. But before that, in the waiting, Sarah took some missteps, didn't she? She got eager. Very often, the problems in our life can come when we refuse to wait on God's timing and assert our own in God's place. I I would say a great deal of people's stunting to their spiritual growth is when they talk themselves into God having told them something. I call it the God card. When somebody is really eager to do something, they really want to do it. I think of somebody, a, a young couple that wants to get married. And I've counseled young couples before where one of them was really sold out to the Lord and really trying to do things right, and the other one, not so much. And you go to them and you you try to lay out things very gently and lovingly, and you're looking in their best interest, and you say, you know what? At least let time pass. At least wait upon, uh, upon things to become more clear because in its current condition, this, the attitudes and maturity of both of you, the spiritual condition of both of you is not built for longevity. It's likely that you're not going to last if you pursue this. And I can assure you that very often the response is, well, God told me. And there are some times where I've responded, no, he didn't. Because it's so obvious that it's the desire of their flesh to do what they want to do. And what they want is to silence anybody from giving them any response or wisdom. And unfortunately, I've seen in some of those situations that exactly what people counseled them against is exactly what took place. And the pain was only magnified by the fact that they rejected the wisdom of other people in the first place. They were eager, in short, to get what they wanted. That's what Sarah does. She's eager to have an heir. Now, at this time, even more than now, it was considered a a shameful thing for a woman in particular. And so, no doubt, part of her eagerness is to remove the shame of her situation. And so, what does she do? She gives Hagar. Gives her daughter to Hagar. 
or gives rather her servant Hagar to be with Abraham and bears a child. And once her eagerness gets in the way, now I want to say this, her eagerness was based upon unbelief, wasn't it? God had made a promise. And she doubted God's promise. She doubted God's purpose. Now, listen this morning, if you're a young lady or you're a couple or you know people who have struggled with infertility issues, who struggled to conceive a child, I want you to know that God, don't, don't cast upon him some malicious intent or doubt that he sees your problems or doubt that he cares for the moanings and cries that you might bring forward. God sees you. God cares. But God does all things for a reason and just like Sarah here gets ahead of the game and gets eager and is unwilling to wait upon the Lord what does it do well the first thing it does is it creates jealousy in her home it creates a wedge between her and Abraham it leads her to act in ways both towards this woman, this servant, this innocent woman, and this young, innocent boy in ways that only multiplies her sin towards them. You see, when we get ahead of the Lord's timing, it only creates often more problems. She's an example of this. Finally, God reconciles and he fixes the situation in many ways, and I won't go into the details this morning. But essentially what we find is that Sarah is able to conceive a child. His name is Isaac. And through him, that lineage that God had promised some 30 years earlier was going to be born. Now, the book of Romans chapter 4 tells us at how central her inability to conceive was to the story of Abraham and Sarah. Listen to what it says, because what it does is it considers the faith of Abraham and Sarah. If we go to Hebrews chapter 11, we find that he elevates Sarah's faith, that she even trusted God in the time of infertility. So she went through a period of her life where she struggled to trust God, but she comes to a point in Hebrews chapter 11, I believe verses 8 and 9, somewhere in there, where she begins to trust God. Here in, in Romans chapter 4, we find that Abraham does the same, that he begins to trust God with this big issue that is a central point of their problem and God uses their struggle as an example of faith that we might all glean and follow. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 4 verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickened the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. So notice what he's saying here. At the central part of God saying, I want you all to look to Abraham and look at the extraordinary faith that he had. At the center part of God's example is, He was unable to have a child, and then God gave him a child. And through that whole waiting period, Abraham trusted God that God would do what he had promised to do, despite the unlikelihood of his situation. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning. In Abraham and Sarah's life, her infertility was a central part of God using that to spread the gospel to many generations later on that we ought to have faith 
like Abraham. In short, God had a purpose that would help other people and that would help her if she could just be patient and wait upon the Lord. You know, God does that. God very often takes the very things that we struggle with and when we surrender them to him, God uses that and creates a platform beyond any other area of our life where he can use us to help other people. Part of being a servant of Christ, part of being a servant to other people is when we lay every area of our life out, even those areas that we're sensitive to, even those areas that are are so difficult for us, and what God so often does is redeem those things and uses those things for his glory and our good. If you're someone who's not been able to have a child, I want you to know that God can use your situation for his glory and for his good. Here, that's just one story. What's another story in the Bible that we learn about this? Well, we can turn a few chapters over and we learn about, in the book of Genesis, and we learn about Jacob and Rachel. So this is the grandson of Abraham and Isaac. And what we learn, and I want to read this, and I hope that you'll turn there with me. This is Genesis chapter 29. This is a common plight that I've seen in women who have struggled to conceive. There is a, a pain, a very unique pain that is added to this woman's struggle, added to this couple's struggle. They try to have children, and they're unsuccessful, and they're struggling deeply with this problem, and they're calling out to God, and they're Families, perhaps, are even making comments towards them and, and trying to talk about their, you know, when are you going to have children? And it just adds to the pain because what those people don't know is they're struggling and they're hurting. And that same question that you're asking, they're asking to God. And then something happens. And it's contained in verses 31 through verses 35 of Genesis chapter 29. I want you to listen. And I think the cadence of this text is purposeful. Listen to how each verse starts from verses 31 through 35. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now listen to this. And Leah conceived and bare a son. Look at verse 33. And she conceived again and bare a son. Look at verse 34. And she conceived again and bare a son. Look at verse 35. And she, bare, she conceived again and bare a son. Look at verse 18 of the next chapter. And Leah said, God hath given me my hire because I have given my maiden to my husband. And she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bare Jacob the sixth son. Look at verse 21. And afterwards she bare a daughter And called her name Dinah. Oh, look at the pain that goes on here. Rachel is married to Jacob. Of course, at this time, polygamy exists. And so is Leah. And so are both of their servant or handmaidens are conceiving children with Jacob. And here, Rachel is desperate to have a child. And the Lord had closed her womb. She couldn't. And did you notice the cadence of those verses? Her sister Leah Conceived again and again and again, seven times. Just her own sister conceived a child. What do you think that did to Rachel's heart? 
You know, I've, I've talked to young ladies who have struggled with this before, and in tears often they say, I'm really happy for my friend. But they say it through tears because they're also a little jealous of their friend. What, that, what Leah had no struggles with and was having child after child, Rachel, all she wanted was one. And God closed her womb. Notice verse 22 in chapter 30. This is important to remember. Look at verse 22. It says this, And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her, and opened her womb. The story we learned from Sarah and Abraham was that God has a purpose in everything that he does, even in making a people being unwilling to have a child. What do we learn from this story? Here's what we learn from this story. Here's what we also learn from Jacob's parents' story. God hears the prayers of people who call out to him with this struggle. She prayed. She called out to God. I can't imagine somebody, a woman, more earnest in her prayers than the the earnestness of a woman that desires a child. You know how I know that? Because we read in 1 Samuel chapter 1, the story of Hannah, Samuel's mother. Again, polygamy exists. Elkanah is her husband. And yet, his wife, his other wife, is able to have children quite easily. And Hannah cannot. But here's the uniqueness about Hannah's situation. The other woman is purposely taunting her. I mean, Hannah, imagine the pain that she's feeling. She feels the shame of her culture. She has the longing of her heart to have a child. And then this woman is competitive and she's got a malicious spirit and she's making fun of and and she's taunting her. Imagine the pain. Well, we know the pain because we see that she comes into the temple of God early in the morning and she's calling out before God. And what is upon her heart is, Lord, I just want a child. That's what I'm desiring above all else is to have a child. And she called out to the Lord. And the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1 that God heard the prayers of Hannah and answered them. Here, all of these situations, I want you to know if you've struggled with this in the past, don't think it's a situation where you know I was never able to conceive so God didn't answer my prayers. No, that's not the case. God may have just answered your prayers in a different way than what you ever expected. Because imagine this. Imagine God closes up a woman's womb and and like Michael, she's never able to have children. And she's praying diligently, God, give me a child that I can love, that I can care for. Someone and it consumes her heart and it consumes her thoughts. Now set that situation aside and let's consider a child. An orphan child. Living in an orphanage, calling out for a mom and a dad to love them. Beseeching God. Never having a place of belonging. Never having a role model to look to. Never feeling like they belong anywhere. 
And God sees the heart of this child calling out in confusion and desperation. And God sees the heart of this mother or this husband and this wife who is longing to have a child. And what God knows is that if he'll put them together, there is a beautiful life that both of them can experience. But both of them must make sacrifices in order to have it. And that is to not have what what they might consider the ideal answer to my prayers. God brings them together and he beautifully creates something. He redeems something out of the brokenness of this world. God does that for people. And if you've ever seen a situation like that, it can be an amazing thing, a beautiful thing that God does. And often the connection between those who are adopted and their adopted parents can become much closer to their than biological parents for the simple reason is that they know and understand to a better degree that it was the blessings of God that brought them together. I want you to know this morning, you can go back and read each scripture for yourself. You know, in, in Isaac and Rebecca's case, do you know the one that it says was praying was Isaac? He saw the pain of his wife and he called out to God and the Bible says that he was entreated of his prayers and God gave them a child. Actually, God gave him two children, Jacob and Esau. Here in these scriptures, if there's a story that we, or a lesson that we can learn from this, it's that God is not deaf to the prayers of people that are hurting, but God answers prayers of people who are desiring and longing for a good reason to have a child. One more story in the Bible that we've already referenced, but we'll get one more lesson out of it. And that's the story of Hannah. Here's another temptation. You know, there's a temptation for women and men who can't have children to live in unbelief. Right? That's one thing that we learn from the scriptures, that they can stop believing and trusting in God, that he's hearing their prayers, that he has a purpose for things, and they get eager and they act prematurely and do things that perhaps they ought not to do. That's one possibility that can happen. Jealousy can get involved. It can create a wedge. Between a husband and a wife, we find that in Rebecca and Isaac's situation. She comes to him and he, he says, what can I do? Am I God? And it becomes this point of contention in a marriage. That can be a problem. Here's another problem that can happen. When God does answer prayer, the child can, can become the idol. You pray for something for so long. And then rather than being grateful towards God and praising God for the blessing, you start to praise the object. And the object becomes an idol. And what I love about the story of Hannah is that's the furthest thing from what happens. Right? She goes before the Lord and she is beseeching God that he would answer. And Eli walks in and sees her in the temple and he says, are you drunk? And she says, no, Lord, I'm not drunk. I'm just desiring something of the Lord. And he says, well, be it unto thee according to, to God's word. And so God grants that prayer. And the Bible tells us in the beginning of chapter 2 that God heard Hannah's prayer and he answered it. 
Then after she conceives this child, the natural temptation you would think later on in her age is that she would just hover over this child and make this child the object of everything in her world. I heard somebody just the other day, some famous person who was struggling with this. They said something about how uh, once their child was born, that their husband knew that the child was first, their husband was second, and then their career was third. And I thought, man, you're doing that child a great disservice. Best thing for you can do with that child is put things in its proper order and let that child know where they belong in the hierarchy of love and need. And that is God first and that your devotion is to your husband next and then your children. Here, here's what Hannah does. She says, you blessed me with this child. The King James uses the word lent. We think of that as a loan that you get back. That's not what it means in the original. It means to give somebody. Give something. And so what does Hannah do? She says, you've given me this child. I'm going to give him back to you. Now here's what I love about this story. She goes to the temple and by all accounts she lived a good distance from the temple. So all that we know is that she went back at least once a year, perhaps twice a year by requirement. Maybe she went back more, but if she did, it was quite the journey from where she lived to get back there. So we know she's not just living in the neighborhood, seeing him every day. No, when she gave her son to the Lord, she completely gave him over and said, he is your child. Now, I see a lot of parents today that have a hard time doing that. They have a hard time giving their children to God and allowing God to be the one that fashioned and molds them that that child would leave their home, cleave to their spouse, and create a new home. A lot of parents have a hard time doing that, but not Hannah. Hannah did not make her child the one that she worshipped, but rather she gave that child back to the Lord, and you begin to read Hannah's prayer, and from verses 1 through 10 in 1 Samuel chapter to you go read it yourself she has given him to the lord she's about to go home and leave him at the foot of the temple and all she does is praise and magnify the lord for his goodness that he blessed her with a child she's not jealous she's not envious she's not bitter to god no what she knows is that god and please hear this if you've tuned me out this morning hear this one part she knew that god had given her a child and that that child had a divine purpose to serve god throughout his life not just to make her happy And so she rejoiced in God that she was able to witness and be a partaker of God's blessing in giving her this child. She gives him to the Lord. And what does Samuel do? You know, I love the fact that she didn't know when she gave him to the Lord all that that little baby was going to do. Oh, but isn't the story of Samuel so beautiful? He's the last judge of Israel. Ending this long 400-year period where the judges, or about 350 to 400-year period where the judges ruled in Israel. She didn't know that he was going to be the one that was going to become the high priest. She didn't know that he was going to be the one to anoint Saul as king. To anoint David as king. To come back from the dead when the witch of Endor calls him up. She didn't know any of those things. But you know who she did know? She knew the greatness of God. And she trusted her child that God was able to care for him better and use him 
more extensively than had she hovered over him and tried to use him for her own happiness. You know what I love seeing in my children? Is when they, when they do something apart from me that is good. What I mean is this. You know, if I'm often, at their age especially, I hover over them and I make them do good. Or at least my shadow is lurking big enough where if they act up, they know they're going to be in trouble. But you know what's a wonderful thing as a parent is when you send your kid off with other people and your shadow is not lurking over them. And there they are on their own and you bring your kids back and they say, you know what? Here's something they did that was a testament to their good character. Isn't that a huge blessing whenever you have something like that happen? Absolutely it is. Don't you think it was a wonderful thing when she took him to the temple and said, God, I'm going to pray for him that you'll use him in an extraordinary way. And then as her life unfolded and he's, he's doing all these great things for God, don't you think that it vindicated the sacrifice that she had made giving him over to the Lord? I believe absolutely it did. God will do the same with us. Whenever we have children, we give them to the Lord. You know what? You know, giving them to the Lord isn't just action. It's the heart. That's the key to it. Is that we know they're not mine. They're God's. That's a hard thing to do. You know what gets really hard is whenever they start taking risks. We live in such a safe culture. Everybody, we want to calculate everything, make sure everything's risk-free. But when your child begins to step out and do things that you wouldn't do, take risks that you wouldn't take, live a life that is un familiar to you not wrong just unfamiliar to you you gotta let them jump out of that nest and try to fly a little bit it's scary isn't it and yet if they're pursuing God isn't it better for a child to be out of the nest for the first time flapping its little wings trying to fly than safely tucked under mom's wings if they're trying to pursue God's purposes it most certainly is this morning I'm going to close with this. There are four things I want you to know if you've struggled with this or if you know somebody who has you can encourage them with through the scriptures. Number one, God is sovereign over the womb. God has power to give children and not give children. All the science and medical advancements in the world can explain things, can even help things. And I'm not, a, I'm not somebody who consults about any of that. But what I do know is this. All through the scriptures, it is God that gives. Here's the second thing. God has a purpose in why people can't have children. No matter how deep the pain gets, no matter how many things you've tried to do to alleviate your problem, there's a purpose. Here's the third thing. Unbelief, doubting that God has a purpose only leads to more pain and more sin upon you and upon other people. And here's a fourth encouraging thing. God hears your cry for a child. God knows the desires of your heart. And in due time, he can answer them according to his will. I'll read this last verse. We started in Psalm chapter 62. I want to end there in verse 8. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us.
I want you to know this morning, you know, I, I, I told you before I started today that I don't know who this is for, I don't pretend to, but I want you to know that if you struggle with this, you have struggled with this, you have a family member that does, and the people are online watching and they've struggled with this, I hope that what you'll do is not just seek to seek medical advice to alleviate that issue, but that you'll seek spiritual help to sustain your faith. I already said there's, I'm sure, a lot of families in this church that have struggled with this. This is one of the many things I felt like growing up, we just don't talk about in church. It's just inappropriate to talk about in church. That's how I felt. And now I feel quite the opposite. This is the place to come for your pain. And these women in this church in particular, I will assure you, can help you. They can help sustain your faith. They can't cure your, pro- you can't cure your struggle, your problem that you're facing. But they can help be a support. That's what I think, I reference it often because I think it's so important. That's what, this is one of those things that the older women are meet, meant to teach the younger women. Meant to help them. Meant to be one that when you're calling out and your husband doesn't understand and he becomes angry and frustrated and he's just at his wit's end and you feel like you have nowhere to go and you're calling out to God and it seems that God doesn't want to hear and God won't answer you and you try to seek relief. That's where you can come to the godly women who can look to the word of God and who can look to their own experience and can help and encourage you and sustain you in this waiting period and trial of your faith. That's how God wants to use his church. God, that's how God, very often we don't see and we don't say a lot about the role of women and it seems many of the examples that we give in the Bible are men. But listen, this is a unique opportunity for women to serve a large demographic of people who are hurting and suffering in this world that leads them towards doubting God and pushes them away that Satan can use as a wedge in their faith. And men who, wives struggle with that, you're not alone either. There are other men who have experienced these things. I hope this morning, if there's anything you get out of this, the Bible talks about it and God cares about it and this church wants to help you with it. Those are the three things I want you to get and I hope that God would use it in some way to help you and encourage you. Testimonies. Testimonies are not just about salvation. When God gives us experiences, oftentimes those testimonials are meant to hear, help people we don't know anything about. When God leads you to tell a testimony about something that doesn't involve your experience of salvation, but a struggle He has delivered you through, won't you let God, won't, won't you let God use your struggles and your failings to minister to people? Wouldn't you have loved if right before you were about to descend into the depression and the heartache and the pain and the hopelessness that you felt, had somebody, somebody that you loved and cared about you stood up in the house of God and said, I want you to know, I don't know who this is for, but I have struggled with this and God delivered me and there's hope and there's answers and there's things God can do to encourage you. Would you not have love for somebody to do that for you and let God do that through you for others isn't that the beauty of when God turns around pain and sin and allows you to use those things in your life to help people 
Oh, there is nothing more that I love to spit in the face of Satan and spit in the face of pain that I've experienced in the last things that have haunted me in the past than to be able to use that very thing to bring comfort and hope to somebody struggling through it and to prevent Satan from causing them to struggle. Doesn't it validate and vindicate the struggle you went through when you see it help somebody? Doesn't the light bulb go off and you say, oh, Lord, now I better understand Because perhaps that person would descended much deeper than what you ever would have or what you did. And God has sent your plight 20 years earlier as a safety net for people in the future. That's how God works. That's why God has knit us together. It's for that reason. I hope this morning when God, not just about this subject... I'll say this, you won't feel more strange talking about it than I do preaching about it. I guarantee you that, right? If God ever calls on you to share things like that, I pray you'd be obedient and do it. That's our message this morning. The struggles, the pain of infertility, I hope that God would grant you a reprieve from that struggle if you've ever experienced it or you do experience it.